a person injured in a car accident is suing the Queen of England for $32 trillion. Yeah, let's hope the attorney in that case got his retainer up front. And Amy and I go over basic deposition prep ideas, including how to avoid your client from giving the worst possible answer a deponent can ever give. And the Senate Judiciary Committee is looking into Supreme Court traveling this week. Well, somebody has to look at traveling rules. You know the NBA isn't going to do that. And Amy and I uncover all of these issues, plus we look at the blockbuster cases remaining on the Supreme Court's term this month, all in this week's debriefing of the law. Welcome to this week's debriefing of the law. I am Joel Oster. Hi, everybody. My name is Amy Levansky. Nice to be with you again. Thank you. So I was wondering if you would uh, pick up on that, Amy, but you did. You didn't do too bad. It, it, it's been a couple of weeks, and so because of that, before we get before we dig into all that has happened in the world of law, which has been a lot of fascinating issues over the last uh, couple of weeks, what's going on? Well, what's new for you up there in New Jersey? Not much. Enjoying the warm weather. Have a huge family barbecue coming up on Saturday. Super excited about that. We actually are renting an ice cream truck. So it's going to come to the house. Yeah. And everybody gets to enjoy their desserts and uh, their selection. You know what? The reason I did it was really a selfish purpose, right? You know, when you have a big family party, you always have tons of leftovers. And I have like some questionable family members. And by questionable, I mean, I never really know what they're going to bring. Okay. Um, All right. I got gotcha. you. Right. So they're like, their, their choices might just be like on a skeptical side. So this way I don't have a bunch of weird desserts or things left over at my house. I don't really okay. want. So that's, that was the purpose in doing that. Now I, I got to just pause here because you said you're having a family barbecue. Now I am from Kansas city. So when you say barbecue, immediately my mind goes to, do you even know what a barbecue is? I am just curious for our listeners. When <laughs> you just said the term barbecue, what, what are you planning on actually eating at this quote unquote barbecue? So I am a traditional Northeast person. So when I say barbecue it's like hamburgers and hot dogs on the grill and everybody stands outside we should probably call it something else because i have a feeling that when i say barbecue (laughs) it will not mean the same thing there will be no actual with anything with barbecue sauce on it probably oh my goodness see you 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 guys need to come over to kansas city and we'll actually do a, a, an actual barbecue. Uh, barbecue is a, it's about a seven hour ordeal. I mean, you have to be smoking meat. And so, uh, yeah, it's not that what you were, what you just referred to is called grilling. When you grill hamburgers and really? hot dogs, grilling. Yes. My, my Kansas City snobbery is coming out. But if you want to have a barbecue, then put the, you gotta get that meat, uh, being a sauce, so, you know, um, uh, put it in some sauces and some spices, you know, two days before, uh, and then get it on the smoker a day before it's, it's going to take about 14 hours to smoke your your brisket and your pulled pork and it, it is a lot of fun but hey yeah, that, again ignore the kansas city snobbery i do think it's pretty cool you're going to have a ice cream machine i didn't know you can you could even rent ice cream trucks i know right it's good old uh, google you just i googled it up and found somebody that would come out and sit in front of the house with their ice cream truck and i think it's going to be awesome i think the kids are going to love it and uh again i'm cutting down on mess 
I'm cutting down on weird, you know, desserts. And I'm not snubbing anybody's choice of dessert, but like, you know, just like things you really don't want. Like, no offense right. to people, but like an ambrosia. Like, yeah, no, what? I don't an need ambrosia? it. Is that what it is? Is that what it's called? Is it the I'm... whipped cream, like fruit thing? I don't even know. I, I just don't. I want a tapioca pudding. I don't want anything weird at my house. <laughs> just stick to the ice cream truck. Yeah, you can't okay. miss. You cannot mess up with ice cream. I think that is a genius idea. You can get the kids from all over the the neighborhood flocking. You are basically vying for a mother of the year award there with that or aunt of the year award, whatever. Uh, that is a great idea. I can just imagine how excited the kids would be to have an ice cream truck. I'm getting excited about it. Uh, but hey, uh, that sounds like a, a lot of fun for myself. I am actually now going to travel pretty much for the first time since COVID. I actually have a court case in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I will be headed out next week to, to, to Florida. And I am definitely looking forward to to that. Well, hey, there's a lot going on, but before we get to this week in, in the law, I thought it might be fun because I taught this class this last week on deposition do's and don'ts. And the, the question came up, what would be the worst possible answer that your client could give that if you're the lawyer, it just makes you, you slink in your chair. It's like, oh, I cannot believe my client just said that. So we had a nice, fun conversation. And so let me go over some of these, and I want to get your input, and maybe you have some others to add to this list. All right, this is my worst answer. This is the one where my client says it during a deposition. I am just seething. And it is this. I don't know, but I'll find out. Now, what is your response to that? Do you care about that answer? You know, being in family law, it's a little different. So sometimes that answer is appropriate. Like, um, you know, we have we do a lot of financial questions, right? Because that's okay. really what people care about in the end, uh, the money. So right. that is maybe not terrible, but I also cringe in my chair if, you know, it's a question about, hey, sir, uh, did you spend $100,000 on your girlfriend? Yeah, I might die in my chair if my client's like, I don't know, but I'll find out. No, right. no. The answer is flat out no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, my take on it is, look, you um, the, the rule for depositions, if you are, they're taking your client's deposition. This is the rule. It's somewhat of a game. You only answer the very specific question that is asked, right? This is not your time to tell your side of the story. So it's a little bit of a game, if you want to call it that. You are making the lawyer on the other side ask the right question, and then you give the right truthful answer. For example, if they ask, where do you work? The answer is, I work at Walmart, not, I work at Walmart and I sack groceries. They didn't ask what you did, they asked where you worked. And, and so, when I want my client to answer like this, I don't know, period. Button it up and don't offer up more work on my part, which we all know is actually the lawyer is going to have to go find out, find out that information and respond. Uh, but maybe I'm lazy. I don't know. I would just rather my client say, I don't know, and then make them do some kind of discovery follow-up to uh, get the additional information. Does that, does that make sense? Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. I think that is the most challenging part of working with any client, um, especially people who are highly emotional like in my job, it's only answered what was asked. And people yes. have a very hard time doing that. You'd be surprised 
how challenging it is for a client because they're so emotional in that moment that they're just they're going on a narrative of things that really don't matter um, when they're just not actually answering the question. And maybe that's something that we should teach in schools. At, you know, just answer the call with the question. To, to everyone right. that went to law school, you will understand that phrase. Answer the call of the only answer what I asked you. That's it. right. Yeah, this is not your time to tell your side of the story. We'll, we'll get to that time. We'll get there. There will be a time during the litigation proceedings where you tell your side during a deposition, that is not it. Just answer the very specific question and then button it up. But as you know, Amy, this is what happens. You tell your client that. And the, by question three, the client has clearly forgotten. And now the client is saying, oh, I know how this game is played. I'm smarter than the other lawyer. I'm going to go ahead and get this over with as soon as I can and just give them the information that they want. No, that's not how the game is played. Don't do that. Don't think you're smarter than the other lawyer. Just answer the very specific question. All right, how about this one? And this one really <laughs> makes, you, makes your stomach curl. Uh, my attorney told me to say. Now, has, has your client ever said that? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, you know, I um, I do not have a good poker face when it comes to things like this. So my immediate response would, you know, just be a, a violent hand gesture to basically <laughs> tell my client to shut up right. and be being like, nope, nope, I'm going to object. That's, that's privileged information. Because, you, you know, Joel, you know, and anybody for out there uh, that doesn't really know, there's only so many objections you can make during a deposition. And right. they are pretty limited to attorney-client privilege and uh, I'm going to object, but you still have to answer the question. Um, right. So that's pretty much it. So if your client whips one of those out, you, I think you have the right to to a violent hand gesture and tell them to shut the hell up in that <laughs> exactly, moment. Yes. Uh, let's hope you're not sipping your coffee at that moment because you're objecting so fast uh, that you're probably going to be spitting coffee clear across the, the table. <laughs> Yeah, attorney-client communications are absolutely privileged. So, hey, all potential deponents out there, never say, my attorney told me to say. That is something we can, I, I feel confident in saying, you should never say that in any deposition. All right, these other ones are, are uh, I got these from clients who were somewhat snarky. I mean, they, uh, you know, they um, uh, probably did not have the right attitude or right demeanor during a deposition. Uh, like, how about this one? I bet you'd like to know, uh, or this one, Amy, I, I'm curious if this has ever happened to you, where the deposition is has ended or, or, or you're near a break and the opponent then says, well, I would like to ask you some questions. Have you ever had a client do that? All the time during really? a deposition, during a trial. Um, frequently, I will be cross-examining somebody um, or, you know, whatever um, with the other side. And the other side will be like, well, you know, start asking me questions. And um, my typical answer is, well, as, as fun as this is and as much as I'd like to answer, this is really isn't about me. Right, um, right. And I always, you know, I don't know if you get it, but I, I typically get people who are very um, angry. They start to question you about your personal life or your personal affairs as the attorney. And it's, right, right. it's very much uh, off-putting in that moment. You're like, wow, well, I, I love to talk about myself, but now is not really a good time for me. That's usually what I say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what you do, Joel, but that's usually where I take it. 
Yeah, I, 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 you referenced earlier. I do the quick hand gesture, like we're shutting <laughs> this down right now. Uh, this is this is not your chance to ask the other person any questions. No, uh, maybe some other time. Um, and now this last one I got from this most recent class that I did, and this was I thought was pretty. I, I have actually heard this uh, as a response before, and it did make me just slink in my seat. And that is this, you know, because during depositions, it, it, you, it's standard for the other side to ask questions like, "Well, did you sign these discovery responses?" You know, there'll be interrogatories or whatever, and the client will actually have to sign them. And so the question is, well, did you read the discovery responses before you signed them? And they said, no, I did not read the, <laughs> the discovery responses. Like, what, what are you doing, client? Has that ever happened to you? You know, I have been fortunate enough that I've never had a client say, I didn't read them at all. I've had clients say, well, I don't, you know, maybe I don't recall that or that's not exactly what I put, but at that moment, I would also be hiding under my chair and ready to just go, okay, well, um, this is, this is what's called the substitution of attorney and sir, you're on your own. Good luck. So now I change it up and now I basically, when I'm giving these, uh, these discovery responses back to the client to, to sign, say, look, read over them. Assume you're going to be deposed over every line in this response. How would you defend it? You have to have a response to it. So that's your mindset now in reading over these. So I really go to the nth degree to make sure that they understand yeah, you are signing your name to this. This is not my response. This is your response. And so uh, you have to own up to it. Any other uh, things come to your mind about uh, horrible deposition answers? You know, um, not at the, well, maybe, you know, I, I always can't stand a client that goes on a tangent. I, I'm not specific answer, but just goes on a tangent. Life right. story tangent. So that's, I think those are the worst deposition answers. The people that can't stop talking. That's what I really like. And I know who those are in my, in my clients. They just, they don't know when to shut up those people. Those are the worst. So I will try to avoid a deposition or going to trial. You know, I, and I have no uh, filter, which is a little scary sometimes. Um, I'm a client for great podcasts, great podcast, but I've, you know, I've straight up told the client, like, you know, actually we're not going to go to trial because you just can't shut the hell up. So that's, (laughs) that's the answer right there. So, you know, I wanted, (laughs) I want this, I want that, you know, and you can only warn somebody, right. So many times. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They uh, just—you have those clients where you just in your mind think there is no way we're going to trial with this person. They just talk way too much. That's not going to work out. Well, I actually got this idea as well this last week. There is this pitcher for the New York Yankees whose last name is Cole, an incredible pitcher. And um, there is this I, this idea running around Major League Baseball that these pitchers this year are using illegal substances. To pitch, like either it be Vaseline or, or something, you know, you know, the whole spitball kind of idea. And so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, this became national news because Major League Baseball announced that now umpires are authorized to at any moment during a game to go out and check the pitcher's wardrobe, hat, things like that, to make sure they're not doctoring the, the pitches. And so uh, this pitcher, Cole, was asked, hey, are you doctoring? Are you using illegal substances? And uh, Mackenzie, her, I'm not sorry, Amy. This was her uh, his answer. Uh, 
I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, that is not how you answer the question. Oh. Are you using illegal substances when uh. you pitch, right? You don't want a long pause and ah, and then I don't know how to answer that. That is not a good response, but nonetheless, um, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, Joel, I always tell my clients don't lie, right? I never want a client to purge for themselves. Right. I never want a client to lie. But if a client gives me an answer, I will use the phrase quite frequently. Well, that's not a preferable answer. So maybe we should try again. I'm just thinking, you know, if, um, if, if Bill Clinton is asked, did you have sex with that lady? And his response is, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> that is not a good response, right? That not is a good not answer. Right. Yeah. Not going to do you any favors. All right. How about this? I found this frivolous lawsuit, and I don't know why this lawsuit just so entertained me, but let's go over it. This actually was in Canada, and this person, uh, Tyler was his name, was hit by a car while riding his bike. That's an uh, easy lawsuit, you would think, right? And so the, the driver allegedly fled the scene, and so this bike driver filed a civil lawsuit against this person's insure, uh, auto insurer, you know, claiming that he, uh, you know, the physical damages and things like that. So that's, that's standard, right? I think that's standard practice. Not a PI lawyer, but I would assume that would be in normal course of business. Yeah. So so far there, nothing out of the ordinary. You get there's an auto accident. You, you sue the insurance carrier for coverage, whatever. That is not why this case is interesting. This is why the case is interesting. the The plaintiff then decided to amend his complaint to add a few more possible defendants. So the insurance carrier made sense, possibly even the driver would make sense, but then he added the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the BC Premier John Horgan, and then Queen Elizabeth II. Now, I don't know why he is suing the good queen. Clearly, this is a definition of a frivolous lawsuit. Uh, and so I assume, Amy, this has never happened to you in your practice where you had to then go... Uh, you know, the, you, you sued the Queen of England. Um, no, not yet. I mean, I'm. It's possible in the future, maybe if uh, you know one of the royals breaks up. I mean, give me a call. Uh, I'd be interested in what that would look like. But no, I haven't been fortunate enough that um, we've carried on to the Queen of England. I mean, it, in my practice, it's very unusual if we uh we have third parties. But I have seen yes. it where people decide to sue family members. You know, for intentional affliction. Okay. Of uh, emotional distress during their marriages, which, you know, it's funny. I don't want to get too far off of the beaten path, but I mean, I, I think that maybe, you know, mother-in-laws, that rotten mother-in-law really right. uh, contributed to the demise of your marriage. You know, I think that should be more popular because sometimes that is the case. <laughs> Ad adding the mother-in-law to the, the, the divorce proceedings as being a cause, that's, that's not a bad idea. Maybe that's an area that of law that we idea. can... Open up there. Uh, yeah, I think, though, it's safe to say here that if you are in a hit-and-run accident in Canada, it's probably going to be frivolous to add the good queen uh, to the, 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 that lawsuit. I just don't see how that is, uh, is viable. The uh, person then asked for $32 trillion as damages, and the court ruled uh, and dismissed this lawsuit and said that the claims were scandalous, vexatious, and otherwise an abusive process. Probably no surprise, but it did also make me think of other crazy lawsuits. Let me just throw these other crazy lawsuits by you to get your take. Uh, in, in one particular case, state senator, Nebraska state senator Ernie Chambers sued God. Now, have you ever thought about suing God in state court? 
I mean, you know, this is going to sound a little crazy, but like, I mean, where do you even serve God? I mean, who is God's representative, right? So, it, I mean, that's really, I, you know, it's so funny that I'm not even caught up on the fact that he sued God. I'm like, well, who do you even serve? Well, you know what? You are judge. You are judge material. I, I'm telling you, Amy, you nailed it. That is what this judge did. This judge played this one by the book. So she got this lawsuit, which by the way, how ticked off would this judge have been? Oh, I got a pro se uh, lawsuit here. Oh, it's a pro se by a state senator, and they're suing God. Now, the, what the state senator was seeking was a court-ordered injunction stopping the Almighty from doing all of his acts of destruction, evil, and mayhem within the state of Nebraska. And so the court said, hmm, okay, we got this lawsuit. You know what? We got to play this one by the books. Let's play this one by the books. Now, what are two things every lawsuit needs. Well, first of all, you're going to need jurisdiction over the, the defendant, right? That, that's standard. And the court said, we don't have a personal jurisdiction over the Almighty. Now, I actually <laughs> think the court was wrong on that. But nonetheless, it's how, the court then said, and in addition... You guys, you failed to serve the, the you failed to serve the, the defendant here. Every lawsuit needs to service the process. You failed to serve the defendant, therefore case dismissed. So, uh, Amy, you pegged it. That is exactly how the court ruled. You know, that's and also part of lawsuits. You have to actually have viable parties, right? I mean, no, I'm not. Listen, I'm taking sides here, not promoting any kind of religious belief, but you know, I mean, it's questionable questionable here right and how do we know that god was behind these disasters it's just it's very far-fetched <laughs> hey if I mean, there's a supremacy clause surely that would uh, you know, prevent god from being sued i would think right if you can't <laughs> sue the state then surely you can't sue god if, under the supremacy clause uh, but you know what um, senator chambers was not so discouraged let me tell you his response his response was oh, wait a second here you see god is um, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And because God is all-knowing, he already knows about this lawsuit. Therefore, no service was needed. Uh, oh. do, you, do you buy that argument? I mean, I just, my biggest issue again is, you know, you have to, you have to prove service. So sorry, if yeah. there's no affidavit of service, then I, I just don't find it to be acceptable. And you're going to have an appearance issue anyway. I, I just don't <laughs> think God's taking time out of... <laughs> busy schedule to show on this one. I, I, you, know what, you, you nailed it on the head. The court said, no, look, uh, under Rule 12b-5, it doesn't matter if the defendant is aware of the lawsuit. So God, the defendant might be aware of it. You still have to serve him with process. There is no proof of process here in the file. Therefore, a case dismissed. So you know what, Amy, if you want to run for a judge, I think you have what it takes there. Maybe one day. Not right. right now, but maybe one day. Let me throw another lawsuit by you. Uh, and this is a different situation. But, Amy, have you ever taken your clothes to the dry cleaner and they lost an article of your clothing? I've never had anything lost so far. Okay. So shout out to my dry cleaner. I think they are the best. Uh, good. good on them. I've never had anything lost. Um, I guess I should be thanking God. You know? <laughs> That's right, right. Well, I want you to just assume that... You, they, they did lose. I mean, I know these are good people, and you, you shout out to your dry club. Let's assume that they lost your favorite pair of pants. So you got okay. these are your favorite parachute pants from. You don't even know what parachute pants are. Do you I know do. What parachute pa you do. Okay, I do. They lost your favorite pair of parachute pants, and you are ticked. All right, what would you do about that? 
Uh, you know, I know where this is going, but do, I don't think I'd, I'd initiate a full-blown lawsuit over, over okay. pants, but I know where this is going, Joel. I know somebody sued somebody over their favorite parachute pants. It's not just that he sued them over it. It's how much he sought. He sought $65 million from the dry cleaner because they lost a pair of his pants. And, and so um, uh, now that is not the craziest part of this lawsuit. This is the craziest part of this lawsuit. He was actually offered a $12,000 offer of settlement and he turned that down. I can't even imagine turning down a $12,000 offer of settlement when the dry cleaner lost a pair of your pants. I mean, you must have really loved those pants. I, I don't know. I think that is totally egregious. I'm not going to lie. I mean, everything has a, I mean, when you go to sue, everything has a value, right? right. Um, I think those are the most difficult clients to work with too. It's that it, it really, nothing will satisfy them. Um, and you don't really know what they want. You can't, they can't really articulate, you know, what they're looking for to satisfy whatever thing. $12,000 for a pair of pants would absolutely thrill me. I, oh, yeah. I would have taken that in a heartbeat. Oh, I mean, where I shop, that could buy me pretty much 12,000 pairs of pants. I mean, I'm telling you, that's a, that would be, I would be set for life when it came to the, uh, the clothing department. Uh, he, he turned that down. Now, this was, now, this person who actually was a judge, but he filed this lawsuit pro se. Uh, he then lost his judicial position. Someone thought that, you know what, we don't think this judge actually has the proper judicial temperament to be a judge when he's suing people for $65 million. And then he was um, uh, disciplined for his with his law license. They said this was a frivolous filing. You had to have a good faith basis in, in, in law to bring these claims. And here, seeking $65 million, it, it, it's a frivolous action. He had no basis for that. His actual claim on why he was entitled to $65 million was that on the dry cleaners signs, you know, on their windows, they had this sign that said satisfaction guaranteed. He goes, I am not satisfied. Therefore they owe me $65 million. So, Hey, whatever it did not work. All right, moving on now to our next story. This is Supreme Court sweep season. And, and so what I mean by that is June is the month that the Supreme Court issues all of its big decisions. Now, here's why that happens, Amy. Uh, on the beginning of July, they go out on vacation. That's when they take their break. Their session ends here. Their term ends on the end of June. And then they all go to their various homes and retreats for, uh, for vacation and a lot of fun, rest and relaxation. So basically, this is when their homework is, homework is due. All the decisions they've been working on throughout the year they got to turn in those opinions and release them. And so that's why June is such a big month when it comes to the, the Supreme Court. And so first of all, I thought it might be kind of fun to have a little bit of discussion as to, since this is sweeps season for the Supreme Court, how what are some ideas on how the Supreme Court could improve their ratings? Uh, any thoughts? Um, You know, I didn't. You know, this is going to sound very ignorant of me, but I didn't even know they were rated. Um, I, I, based on what, like popularity, how much we like the way they're wearing their hair. I mean, is is the brogue looking good enough? I, I mean, that's really a good question. As far as improving ratings, you know, at this point with um, all the political, I guess, um, acrimony, you would call it. I right. think everyone kind of just is going along with party lines at this point. I'm not really sure how we're rating 
um, the job they're doing lately. And, uh, you know, Joel, as you mentioned to me, they're taking on sexier cases. I think that right. may improve some ratings. But as far as, um, you know, maybe a suggestion into uh, like a popularity contest, I don't know. Maybe yeah. we if we could do a little show, we could follow them around, see what their days are like. I like that. What What if we were to do it Big Brother style? We put all the justices and the litigants in one big house, and then we vote them off every week uh, with their cases. Uh, that might you know get garner a little interest. Uh, I don't know. You also have a survival thought, but these guys are all you know. <laughs> Octogerians. I'm not sure that's actually going to work doing kind of survivor style. I'm trying to think what's another reality based show that we could America's got talent. America's got lawsuits. I don't know where we could go with this, but the point is let's think about how we can creatively, you know, um, uh, issue these opinions and these decisions to garner the public's trust and, and interest. Hey, I'm just curious. I don't know why this idea came to me, but since I know you are a couple generations, not generations, decades younger than me, Jump the shark. Do you have any idea where that phrase comes from? Because I'm going to tell you in just a second. Have you heard the phrase, hey, don't jump the shark? Do you know where that came from? I have no idea what that even means. All right. All right. It's a sweeps season kind of an idea. And go back to Happy Days. And Happy Days was trying to garner more interest in their shows. And so the Fonz was going to get his motorcycle and go jump a bunch of sharks. And it was a horrendous idea. It's the dumbest, you know, plot line in any sitcom. And so that's where you get that phrase, jump the shark. It comes from the Fonz. Trying to garner interest in ratings for Happy Days was actually going to jump uh, a bunch of sharks. But nonetheless, that is way off topic. Let's get back on topic to the Supreme Court. And since I mentioned uh, that they're about ready to go on vacation, the Supreme Court travel has come under scrutiny. In fact, two state or two uh, senators, uh, who, two members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, they're asking the Justice Department to provide information on where these justices have traveled because they want to they want transparency on uh, the, the the court's travel uh, activities. And there's a reason for this. I don't know if you remember when Scalia passed away. When he passed away, he was actually at a retreat 60 miles outside of El Paso, Texas, and he was staying at this retreat as a guest of a lawyer who appeared before Scalia's uh, court. And, and so the issue is, well, wait a second here. Scalia was staying uh, you know, free in a, as a guest in the house, in the ranch of, of one of the litigants on, on his cases. That doesn't sound the best. And so any thoughts on on this inquiry into judicial travel? No, it, it doesn't look good. Um, but, you know, we also have to keep in mind that um, justices are people, too. So right. they may be friendly with these lawyers. And that's, you know, you have to understand also um, just with judges, just at, at any level, Superior Court, Appellate Division, Supreme Court, State Supreme Court, um, they get into these positions by being friendly with the lawyers. So, you know, I'm kind of on the fence with this issue. And, you know, just from my own personal experiences, I was fortunate enough to study abroad where Antony Scalia, before he passed away, um, he taught one of my classes while I was in Ireland at the University of Galway. Okay. And I never really thought about it, right? I never thought about how he got there, who paid for it. I kind of assumed the school program was paying for him to be there, but I guess I never really questioned it. And you know what? I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess if we put so much scrutiny 
on um, lower court judges on what they're allowed to accept um, gifts. You know, they're not allowed to accept gift cards. I think like the cap in the state of New Jersey for superior court judges is like any, they're not allowed to accept a gift over, I think it's like $50. Okay. So, you know, I guess if we're going to scrutinize lower court judges, maybe they should be held to the same standards. Maybe there should be more, transparency for anything that is in an official capacity. Um, right. if it's in a personal capacity, I don't think it should really matter what they do on their own time, but it does not look good that, uh, justice Scalia was, was chilling for free. Right, right. Now, now I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is the optics of it. And the other one is the reality of it, because the reality of it is these are Supreme court justices. Who do they hang out with? They hang out with, lawyers. That's just what they do. They probably don't have even non-lawyer, too many non-lawyer friends. And so that's who they hang out with. And they go to these bench and bar conferences. I've been to these bench and bar conferences where, you know, who else is there? Other lawyers. And so they go to law schools run by lawyers. I mean, that's who they hang out with. And it's not like a, a lower court judge. Now let's say you're talking about a judge, uh, a district court judge. Well, that district court judge should recuse him or herself if if uh, someone's case comes before him and they've had prior business dealings, right? That, that's a pretty standard thought. But you also, there's a thousand other district court judges to get. You can't replace a Supreme Court justice with another justice, right? There's only nine of them. And so if you remove one, you could alter the balance of power and how these cases are decided. And so it's just not a possibility to have a justice recuse themselves in most situations, and yet they have to live lives. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know how this is going to come out. I do. I think what you pointed out is probably the right answer, and that is transparency. I don't think what they're doing is unethical. I don't think that Scalia is going to change his votes one way, you know, based upon going to someone's house and, and hunting. Uh, I just know that's what he likes to do. He, he, lo he loved to hunt. And so, hey, you want to come to my ranch? Let's go hunt. Sure, why not? Let's go there. Uh, and so I think that's pretty much all that was about. And they have to, they have to live their lives. But hey, let's, we'll keep a watch on this. We'll keep our tabs as, these, as Congress, which by the way, this is kind of funny, Congress is going to be trying to put ethical rules and shackles on the Supreme Court. I'm not I sure that's... The irony. Yes, irony there. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, it's it's so, um, it's just so questionable. It's so suspect to me. And you know, I, I guess, I guess we'll go that route. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Maybe we should turn around and put some uh, some scrutiny on Congress members. What are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, I don't think that would turn out very well for most of them. Exactly the amount of uh, uh, lobbying activities that goes on. Yeah, it's a. Very significant. Well, again, we'll keep our eye on that. For the record, Chief Justice John Roberts is on the record as saying Congress cannot pass ethical rules for the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is above and beyond that. And so uh, now Roberts might pass some ethical rules that would apply to the Supreme Court justices, but he does not think Congress can do that. That'd be a separation of powers issue. All right. Lastly here, uh, again, this is Supreme Court sweeps the season. So the Supreme Court is in the news and I am doing these daily updates where I'm trying to on a regular basis, bring to the latest in a real short, you know, four to five minute bit. We're talking about what the Supreme Court has done. And I'm telling you, um, uh, Amy, we only have about a couple of weeks left, maybe two to three weeks by the end of June. There are a lot of undecided cases. This is going to be an exciting, uh, you know, two to three weeks as we watch the Supreme Court. 
all kinds of cases that are out there. I know I sent you a list. Uh, do any of them stand out to you as particularly interesting? So I am very interested in a handful that we've already spoken about. The Cursing Cheerleader. That's Love the Ma- that case. Ma- Mahanoi Area School District VBL, right? The F-Bombing Cheerleader. I love that case. I can't wait to get a result on that. Um, I'm super interested in what's going to happen with um, paying college athletes. Yes, that and- I'm watching very closely. NCAA v. Alston, that could totally change how we do college athletics. And I got to tell you, I have no idea how the court is going to rule in that case. I think it could be revolutionary. I think it could be a nothing burger. It, it could be somewhere in between. I do think it's fascinating that we have this entire billion-dollar industry, and it's all predicated upon pro, uh, um, controlling, the amount, uh, controlling the payment of the workforce. Where else is that allowed? That's like a per se violation of the antitrust laws, uh, right? You you can't allow for price fixing, but this is a billion dollar industry where there is an agreement amongst all the employers as to how much they should pay their 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 workforce. How is that not a violation of the antitrust act? Well, hey, we're gonna hear from the Supreme Court. It could totally radically uh, overturn college athletics, amateur athletics as we know it or they might go somewhere in the middle. I have no idea how the court is going to rule on that case. Joel, tell me you're passionate about this subject without telling me you're passionate. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Uh, you will be giving us an in-depth update on this uh on this case and i'm looking forward to it if we did this via video you would see the soapbox that i'm sitting on right now and actually <laughs> the real box here i am sitting on it and i am just yeah i am i i used to be huge on hey i love amateur athletics i love my nebraska Cornhuskers and my ku jayhawks i mean i'm very passionate about college sports but on the flip side, I'm thinking these universities are taking advantage of these kids I mean, they are and so they i don't are, know what the I answer agree. is yeah. I don't know, but we'll see. So looking forward to the results of those two cases, a couple cases we haven't talked about. Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. Love this case. think it's super interesting. Very near and dear to my heart. Um, I came from the Legal Aid Society. Okay. I worked with juveniles a lot. I still do a lot of uh, child services work. So this case is about um, limiting um, who can be a foster parent on the basis of the LGBTQ uh, community. So this case um, has gone round and round, finally up for uh, Supreme Court review, but it has been upheld time and time again that there cannot be discrimination based on um, whether you identify with the LGBTQ community and you want to be a foster parent. And I agree with the decision so far. Um, I don't know what's going to happen at the Supreme Court. I don't, I do not think it will be overturned. I, I think the decision so far will be affirmed. What do you Let think? Let me just Fulton? unpack what Fulton v. City of Philadelphia is all about. You have this uh, religious foster care organization. I believe it's Catholic. And they have religious beliefs against uh, same-sex parents and, and so they and unions. So they don't want to place kids in same-sex households. And so that's their religious belief. And the City of Philadelphia is saying, we don't want to partner with organizations that have those beliefs, that refuse to place um, children in same-sex households. And so there's a a tension there between the city of Philadelphia's policies and this organization's religious beliefs. Now, Amy, with all honesty, I'm telling you this honest God truth, 
I, 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 this case could turn out 7-2 either way. I mean, that's how significant these issues are. And I have no idea. I could see the court 7-2 ruling on behalf of the city of Philadelphia. I also can see the court ruling 7-2 or maybe 6-3 on behalf of, um, of Fulton uh, and the organization. I don't know how this case is going to turn out. The, I've read the arguments. I've read the briefing. Both sides kind of make sense in their own realm. But you know what? Uh, let me give you one story, Amy, that also kind of shed some light. Back in the early 2000s, there was this case called Locke v. Davey. I assume, have you heard of that? It wouldn't be in your practice area. Have you heard of Locke v. Davey? I have not, shamefully. I know. Okay. I didn't. Well, it, it, it wouldn't come up in your my... practice area. Uh, Locke v. Davey was about Washington had the scholarship program. And they said, look, anyone out there can participate in the scholarship program but we will not fund kids. We'll not give scholarships to kids who want to use that for the vocational training of clergy. So if you want to be a pastor and you want to go to that kind of school or receive that kind of education, you can't use the scholarship money for that. Okay, that, that case went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I am thinking when this case was pending that, okay, the, uh, the, 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 the kids are going to win this one because this is a discrimination based upon religious viewpoint. Uh, the, the state says we're going to fund all these various types of, of, uh, of scholarships. We just won't fund religion. That's discrimination. And so I thought that the kid was going to win the case. No. In fact, Rehnquist wrote the majority opinion, Rehnquist, a conservative justice, and he sided on the state of, on the side of, of Washington and said, look, there is a difference between whether the state can fund religious um, uh, scholarship, they, they can if, you, if they wanted to, as compared to forcing the state to fund. And that you can't do. The state can fund whatever it wants to fund. And if the state does not want to fund, you know, the, the vocational training of clergy, they have the right to do that. And so I'm thinking, would that same thought process work here? Where, yes, the city of Philadelphia could, you know, um, uh, work and contract with religious organiza organizations that have these beliefs, but they also could choose not to. Is that not within their their prerogative? So I again, uh, Amy, I have no idea how this case is going to come out. You know, I have a strong predictor um, that again, the lower court's decisions are going to be upheld here because I think the difference in all of this, right, separation of church and state. I got that, and the city has a right to fund. Um, you know, based I, I guess based on preference, and they you know, and discrimination and differences here, but. My biggest issue in this, and I think this is going to be the overall theme, is that when you're dealing with children, you're also dealing with what's in their best interest, right? Right. Um, to have discrimination based on same-sex household, I don't think that is in their best interest at all because you don't have enough families to step up. And I, now I'm going to get on my soapbox here. Um, you don't have enough families to step up to foster children um, right. that are in terrible situations that have been removed from a dangerous situation. So uh, ultimately, I think the kids are going to win out. I think um, that they're going to continue funding, even if it um, is LGBTQ. You know, I am fascinated to see how the court is going to uh, render a decision in that case. Uh, and so I, my, my gut tells me. No, I'm not even going to go with what my gut tells me. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too hungry right now. Uh, but and I actually, 
I was going to go one way, but I'm thinking, you know what? I, I was going to say my gut tells me that the, it's a 6-3 conservative court. They are going to rule on behalf of the, um, uh, the Catholic organization, and they're going to find some example of invidious discrimination where kind of like the Masterpiece Cake Shop case where they're going to say, look, we found evidence that the city did not like this organization's religious beliefs. Part of me wants to say that because of the 6-3, but then part of me says, well, Lock v. Davey, and as you said, they're just trying to place kids in these homes, right? That is a good objective. I I don't know how the court's going to turn out uh, on this case, but hey, that's why we're here. We are going to follow that and um, uh, bring to you the the announcement as soon as it comes. Are any other cases uh, interest you? There's only, you know, there's plenty of cases, but this last one that um, I think I'm going to be following closely, it's Lang v. California. I think this case is fascinating. Um, We have spent a lot of time talking about the issue of whether the police have the right to just come into your home. Um, Issue of privacy. No place like home. No place like home. So what happened in this case is that this gentleman um, was driving home or appeared to be driving home. He failed. Um, I, I guess the cop found him suspicious. He was playing, I think he was playing loud music. Right, loud um, music. <laughs> loud music, like that's suspicious. I don't know what type of music it was. It would be actually interesting to find that out right, right. based on what's going on in the world. Um, I think there would be an outrage if this gentleman had been playing loud rap music um, as opposed to playing like loud country music. But or, or maybe it's a loud podcast and maybe it was yeah. our podcast. Now, wouldn't that be something? That would be something. Hey, so, sir, you're listening to Joel and Amy. It's way too loud. I don't want to hear those two. P- right. Turn it off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this gentleman was uh, cruising on home. I guess the cop found him to be suspicious. Was I mean, what it appears to me is he was trying to find a reason to pull him over. Right. Um, he was looking for a reason. So I guess he failed to yield at a yield sign uh, and then cruised right into his garage, got out of his car and proceeded into his home. This cop, I mean, according to his story, he says he turned on his lights, he attempted to pull him over before he got into his driveway and his garage, and then proceeded to just follow this gentleman into his garage. Right. Um, gentleman's argument, and, you know, I disagree with the lower court's uh, decision, not to get, you know, too far ahead of myself. So um, I, I don't know what type of evidence was found in this man's garage, but I think the man was subsequently arrested. Um, he filed a motion to suppress the evidence that was found in his garage because the cop had no right to be there. The cop's argument is that, oh no, I was in hot pursuit. If anybody right. doesn't know what that means, it means that um, somebody has committed some type of crime and a cop is is um, following them or chasing them. It kind of goes under the theory, well, you know, if you're in one town, um, a cop from that town is trying to pull you over, you cruise into another county or another town, do they have a right to follow you? They only have a right to follow you if they've been chasing you. Right. So, his, you know, and... And, and not for a misdemeanor. A mis- can you really use hot pursuit when what you are pursuing is someone who committed a misdemeanor? Right, right. So, you know, but this gentleman has lost our both courts. So, I think if, I think these decisions are going to be overturned um, based on what we've seen so far from the Supreme Court this year and how they are siding on an ultimate right to privacy. You don't have a right to bust into somebody's home, even if they say they want to kill themselves. They have to be, like, in the process of doing it. Right. So, you know, unless there's some um, extraordinary circumstances, I just I can't see it. This cop could have certainly knocked on the door and handed this man a ticket. He could have left it in his mailbox. He had no right to go into his garage. 
Now, in Coniglia v. Strom, the Supreme Court just this term also ruled, uh, I believe is unanimously, uh, uh, don't quote me on that, but uh, they ruled in, in Coniglia that the court, the cops cannot just go into your house for under a general caretaking exception. You need a warrant to go into someone's house uh, to, like, you know, take guns. There is no general um, caretaking community exception. So the court already protected the house pretty strongly in that case. And this is the exact same term, exact same justices. So one would think the court is going to protect the house and the home again here. And I think the key things being a misdemeanor. I mean, this, this is not a felony. This is not a hot pursuit of, 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 a, of a case, a significant case. This is really just kind of following someone, trying to find a violation. And so they concocted up some kind of misdemeanor. I don't even know what a failure to yield is. Do, do you know what, I, what is that? You don't pause don't, enough? I guess. I don't know what the rules are. I must be, you know, admittedly, I'm a terrible driver anyway. Um, there's a reason my husband drives, no matter how far we're going, inclusive of like a six hour drive. I'm like, oh, babe, I'll, I'll drive halfway. He's like, absolutely not. I choose life. Um, <laughs> and I can't blame him because I'm such an awful driver, but I don't even know what that means. I, I guess you're, su- are you supposed to full stop at a yield? I, yeah, so sure. I, clearly this is somewhat suspect. You know, I turned on my lights and he didn't stop for me, pull over. And so this does seem somewhat suspect. And again, you're, you're looking at the whole what's going on in the world around us. Uh, and the comp, uh, the court is protecting the house and the home. Uh, maybe they're the Wizard of Oz fans. There's no place like home. I don't know. But I uh, I would think the court probably would rule on the side of, of the, um, uh, the individual here against the cop's actions and putting his foot out to stop the garage door from going down uh but nonetheless hey there's a lot of fun interesting cases you mentioned those there also is a uh the americans for prosperity foundation the one about the donor list can you know someone get access to uh, another group's donor list of uh you know for for that for maybe illegitimate purposes who knows there's also california v texas over, over obamacare will obamacare be overturned there is arizona republican party v democratic national committee about ballot harvesting all kinds of really great significant cases that we can unpack um hey We'll have a lot to talk about next week. So, all right. Well, before we sign off, because I know we have people to sue, depositions to take, things like that. Any parting thoughts? I'm just wishing everybody a happy and safe weekend. Um, always my mantra, don't add to the population. Don't subtract from it. Don't find a reason to go to jail. <laughs> if you go to jail, establish dominance quickly. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm going to have to think about that, uh, what that actually means. Don't add to the population. Um, all right, good. I, I'll think about it. It'll come to me one of these days. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for having me again, Joel, and take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.